Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs, where I speak to bands about the jobs they've worked between making records and between going on tour. Every band ever has started off spending more money than they make 
which means that so many of our favorite bands have probably worked a few hundred jobs between them. And my job here is to get some of those stories of telling bosses that you're going to be there for a lifetime, only to bail in a couple of weeks, go on tour, come back and do exactly the same thing somewhere else and hope those bosses don't know each other. On this episode, I spoke to Max Stern from Signals Midwest. Their new album, Dent, is out now. You can find it at signalsmidwest.bandcamp. And they're on tour across the States at the moment. They just started in Pittsburgh and they're heading to Cleveland, Washington, Brooklyn, Boston, New Haven, Philly, Akron. Oh, that sounds like something you could eat. Chicago, Cincinnati and Columbus. Most of those dates are through July. You can find them. I found those dates on Instagram. You can do the same thing. If you live in any of those towns, then you should go see this band because they are totally excellent. They showed me around the States a couple of years ago. So very nice to catch up with Max. This was recorded a few months ago and got lost down the back of the sofa. But we found it and like some coins, we're going to go to the sweet shop and cash it in. This episode is supported by 2000 Trees Festival, taking place from the 6th to the 9th of July in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London, where Idols, Jimmy Eat World, Thrice and Turnstile will be headlining. They're one of the biggest independent rock festivals in the UK, and there are so many, so many good bands playing. Looking at the poster, Petrol Girls, The Winter Passing, Berries, Me Rex, Slot Thrust, Orchards, Pigs, 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 which is always fun to say. It's round the corner now. It's this time next month. If you want to go, if you're pretty sure, if you're pretty set on it, but haven't got your ticket yet, you can buy your ticket and get 10% off by using the promo code 101POD. Doesn't need to be all caps, but it just needs to be together. 101POD. It's the biggest 2000 trees yet. 100% not to be missed. Knocked loose are even playing. Just saw that on the poster. What a great band. 101 pod as the promo code at checkout save yourself 20 quid here's max stern of signals midwest go well i know you as a illustrator slash designer and when you moved to philadelphia a couple of years ago from cleveland ohio where you grew up where your family is i only presume you know music a but also you know a close follow-up is got to be to do with your illustration work was that is that is that on the money yeah i think it it all kind of factors in um i don't know if i necessarily consider myself an illustrator in the same way that like you know i know people who you can be like hey can you draw like a dragon fighting a ninja on top of the empire state building and they'll be like yes absolutely and it'll look beautiful like i don't know if, if i can do that but i i try to do more like more conceptual stuff and like play with typography more and and like like type and photo stuff. I really enjoy like layout and doing stuff for websites and things like that. But I guess it's sort of beside the point. Philly has a lot more going on in terms of like a, a design industry here. And obviously, you know, the music scene out here is insane. Uh, so, yeah, there was a there was a big draw there for a number of reasons too but uh it was also it's tough <laughs> and and a lot of that is internet stuff is it yeah totally like most of what i design is designed to live on a screen you know like even when you make album covers like i love holding physical media and like whenever i get a chance to lay out something that's going to get printed you know like that always feels super good but you know most of what i make is going to live on a screen mostly on your phone and it's kind of, it seems to be as tenuous of an in industry as 
playing music in terms of, you know, A, getting the gigs themselves, B, getting paid for it, balancing those two factors together to make it a, a livable experience. Yeah, I, I freelanced for a long time. I actually just, I started freelancing right out of college when I was like 22 and, you know, just cobbling clients together and like, you know, working on projects from the road, you know, like stopping at some like Starbucks rest stop so that I could like send a client some print files. And I did that for years and years and, and, you know, lived definitely job to job and paycheck to paycheck for a pretty long time. But also when I was living in Cleveland, my rent was like $320 a month or something like that. (laughs) Like it's, it was so cheap to live there that I could kind of do that and and make it work um and that was what i was doing for a long time what kind of clients were they and wh- and like how did you meet people around that time um my first client my first client i think was uh it was an academic client my friend was working for a college in boston and they needed some covers designed for their reports as well as like a some infographics and stuff. So he was like, you do that, right? And I had never done it before. But I was like, sure, I can figure that out. So that was my first one. And it sort of went from there. There's a lot of small bands and stuff. And, you know, like friends of my parents and things like that. And then, I don't know, I feel like the inertia of of having a kind of creative yet commercial job like that, you just it's all word of mouth. You know, you do something for someone and then they're talking to someone else and they're like, oh, this guy did an okay job for me on this. So you sort of kind of snowballs a little bit. Were you pretty good with asking people for money? I mean, I, I like my freelance work that I do. I kind of cringe every time I ask for like the amount that I want. Yeah, it's, it sucks. <laughs> it's not easy. I I started to like try to have the conversations more upfront. Um, and if it didn't scare people off, then I knew I was probably going to have an easier time dealing with that client. Um, and, you know, I would like have to raise my rates for longtime clients sometimes because, you know, if I started someone at 25 bucks an hour or something like that, and then another one was paying me 50, like I had to prioritize the other jobs. So, you know, it, it was all like negotiating how the jobs worked between clients and then like, trying to get deposits out of people. And, you know, I did contracts for a few things and, you know, sometimes people would pay them. And then sometimes you'd have someone who said they were really excited about a project until they saw how much it was actually going to cost. And then they were like, oh, I thought you could do like an album layout for me for 50 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really how this works. (laughs) So I I think where I kind of go from there is like, I've worked full time for an agency for the last two and a half years. And I don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. Like I just get assignments, you know, I don't have to negotiate. Like I have a salary, which is an incredibly weird thing for me to have after, you know, the better part of a decade scraping by and doing freelance work. So it's, and and that it comes with its whole own set of problems and you have to negotiate like, you know, how to tour and how to, do anything else that is creatively and personally rewarding so yeah it's it's always a balance and it's it's never going to be a thing i think that you like find a good rhythm like it's always okay i have to negotiate this next part because i want to go do this tour but i also want to be able to eat and uh yeah that it's just it's a constant conversation i don't feel like i've ever 
really hit a good balance with it. I've either been broke and touring a ton, or I've been financially stable, but having to turn a bunch of stuff down because I needed to work. Like, I just, I want that middle ground and I can't find it yet. I consider you certainly uh, a um, someone who's smart about these things, someone who isn't going to make a bad decision. I don't think I've ever seen you make a bad decision. I promise you there are, there are plenty, plenty in my, in my history. And how do you recover from those bad decisions in terms of, you know, I mean, things that have affected your work or the band, is it safe to presume that those are like the, the, the two big things in, in your life outside of relationships? Yeah, those are, those are definitely the two kind of big competing forces in my life. I feel like a lot of my music is actually about me kind of reconciling those things in some way. Like it's sort of like a way for me to process how to, how to battle with both of them, I guess. Um, You know, the, the, the distance between two types of lives you might want to live and, you know, you want adventure, but you want stability. Uh, you you know you want freedom but you want safety um you know those are often incompatible and uh yeah i don't don't know i mean that's a that's a really good question i i feel like um the mistakes that i have made have led me to some really beautiful things like i i got this job i think it was like end of 2017 beginning of 2018 where I was really broke and like bouncing back and forth between freelance clients here in Philly and like barely able to pay my rent and just so stressed out and I got this job at this small agency where there was no work-life balance and I would show up and not know if I was going to leave at 5 p.m or 11 p.m and you know I had a tour of Australia coming up where I was going to go do some solo shows and then Signals was going to meet me there and we were going to do some band shows. And like, it was a terribly financially ill-advised tour. Like, I I don't even want to tell you how much money we lost on that tour. Um, But I I told the job, I was like, look, I'm going to go away for a month and we'll figure it out when I get back. And they were not excited about it, but they let me go. And then... Once I got over there, I was sort of like, you know, I hate this job anyway, and I don't want to go back to it. And I emailed them like the second day I was there and was just like, yeah, just find someone else. <laughs> just just let me go. Let me, I'm going to focus on this. I don't want to have to come back to something I hate. I'd rather just figure it out. And I know you're close with your brother and your, and your parents. Have they always been supportive? They have. Um, you know, they've also been honest with me, you know. Uh, especially over the last few years where, you know, I've developed a bit more stability. Um, You know, they've been like, look, we know you love playing music and we know that this kind of feeds your soul, but like you have a good thing here. Don't fuck it up unless you are really aware of what you're doing. And actually it was funny because in, in the springtime, like pre pandemic, I guess, I, I guess this would have been like late, Uh, maybe like late February 2020, I was thinking about all of the things I wanted to do in 2020. Like I knew that Impossible Sum was going to come out and I knew that Signals wanted to do some stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Like I've got 
a bit of a savings now. Like I could probably take some time away from this job or like maybe go freelance or do something else. And like, I was really, really close to having that discussion with my job um, because they've actually expressed some really understanding. uh, They've expressed some understanding about who I am and and what I want to do, which is a a rarity for sure, because most jobs don't give a shit. Um, But then COVID hit. And I was like, oh, no, I am not going to have those conversations at all. I am going to cling to this job and put everything I have into it. And I am so, so grateful to have it. And they've like really I've been super lucky this whole time, man. I've just been at home clicking around on the computer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like I'm one of the luckiest people I know in this regard. Does it feel fragile working at an agency? It does um, because it's so client driven and you know, you can put your best foot forward all the time and like grind so hard and like really, really dig into like the hustle culture of always working nights, weekends, bending over backwards for the client. But like, you know, there is that like creative, I, I guess, variable where like you still might not get to a place that they want you to be. Um, yeah, it does feel a little bit fragile sometimes. Uh at the same time, it also feels more stable than anything else I've ever done. Um, it's kind of funny what you were saying earlier about, you know, you got that agency job a couple of years ago. And it seems to me like, you know, you had Pin, the Signals Midwest EP. Uh, you got, you know, Impossible Sum, your solo album, which is amazing. And I you. feel really shows like, uh, like a whole side to you. In fact, I messaged you on Facebook and we had a little chat about it. You did. It, it was very sweet. <laughs> It sounded like you were letting go in a, I know that's such a cliche phrase, but you know, it, it, it's true, you know, that maybe that's why it's a cliche. Um, and it, it's funny that you've been so prolific <laughs> since having an agency job. Yeah, it's very strange. I think it's because I'm not like trying to figure out ways to make money in between making music. Like I, I kind of have a defined schedule and I don't know, I feel like in 2020, especially like, I've been I've written so many songs this year and it's it's because like I've had the time to just be home and work on stuff but uh I feel like 11 solo songs takes a lot more time than 11 band songs. <laughs> I mean it depends every you know obviously everything is different all the time but you know you're probably going to second you know third guess yourself a lot more if you're on your you know if you're by yourself, right? Yeah and enlisting outside collaborators who weren't my normal bandmates that was super helpful like showing adam all the demos and having him be like this is a good one this needs work here this is a reference track that would work for this one and then kind of going into the studio with kyle and like shaping them all and like having a really trusted ear um it just allowed me to rely on other people and like like i said you know i I was able to just focus on performing as best I could and and you know how it is with bands like I love my bandmates like Steve Ryan Jeff like they're my my brothers at this point like I've been doing signals my entire adult life I'm 31 years old now we started that band when when I was 18 so like we we work together I know how we work together but at the same time when I write a song for signals I write it with them in mind. I write it knowing how they're going to respond to it. And 
you know, I try to work in parts that I know they're going to like. And when you're making a solo record, you don't have to make any of those kinds of considerations. So in a lot of ways, I actually felt like it was easier because I was only considering myself. Like it's a solo record. It's okay to be selfish and, and just like make exactly what you want it to be. And with every band, even though I, I love the shit out of my band and I don't want to stop doing it, like it is an exercise in interpersonal management and compromise a lot of the time if you don't view it as like a dictatorship, which I don't. Like, yes, I am a primary songwriter here, but I value their opinions. And when I bring them a song and we run it through the machine, it comes out differently. And that's why our band sounds the way it does. I think it's good life exercise. I mean, you said it then, but just to sort of speak about that point, if you walk to school or work the same way every day, it's nice to walk a different way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very true. And, and I I find that I get the more people I play with, the better I feel like I am at, at what I do musically. Like I joined Timeshares when I came out here and like John and Eric and Mike have an entirely different way of of songwriting, an entirely different set of influences. And, you know, that has expanded my brain in a number of ways too. And, you know, I, I've played solo songs with a number of people out here and in uh, a, a lot of the other band members I play with are in Chicago. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to play with a couple studio musicians. Um, there's this lap steel player, uh, Mike Brenner, who I've gotten to know who has played on some of my favorite records of all time, like getting to know him and seeing how he operates. Uh, you know, I feel like I've just tried to be sort of a musical sponge over the last couple of years. And then every every six months or a year, I kind of wring out my brain and I'm like, okay, this is what's been going on in there. This is what I've learned. Uh, we're, we're both Jeff Rosenstock fans from an early age. Yeah, very much. I, I saw you played guitar with him when he did an iPod, what, one of those iPods. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. In, in a sports bar when I was like 16 years old or something like that, I, you know. I, I found them on MySpace or something. It was like, this band is incredible. Did you, do you feel like some of those values, you were looking at those values? I mean, what other bands were you into at the time? Was it like Streetlight and Catch-22? What, what, what was your vibe? Yeah, that was <laughs> all of that. You nailed it. Um, yeah, I, I got really into ska super early on. And that was like, those are the first shows that I played. Um, and then I started moving into like, I found Rancid and then I found The Clash and uh, mm. sort of started working into the kind of like mid-2000s warp, warp Tour world and I found Bad Religion and I found No Effects uh, and then I started digging a little deeper from there. Uh, Did any the of those bands, I, any any one of them like real, like really stick out to you or, 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 you know, grab you in a particular way? I would say, you know, the band that really changed my life is the sidekicks. Hell yeah. Um, I, I saw them when I was like 15 or 16 at this battle of the bands that we used to have in Cleveland called the high school rock off. Um, and then I asked them if they wanted to play this show. I was booking at our local club, the grog shop. And um, it was upon the music industry show that I booked and I put them on the show. And the, I think that actually might've been where they met. I'm not entirely sure, but it was around that time. Um, they were they in high school a, as well. Yeah, they were in high school. I was in high school. Uh, yeah, we, I was like 16 years old, probably. I think of them as so much older. <laughs> They've just been doing it for a really long time. And 
you know, Sanders and and my friend Kenny Dix ran this house called the Soggy Dog House. And that was like the crux of Cleveland DIY. And, um, you know, that was like the first band I really fell in love with. They were the first band I knew who toured and they were the first band to ever bring me on tour. I, I filled in with them on a tour when I was 18. I guess that would have no been way. in the summer of uh, 2000 and summer 2008. I want to say, and that just kind of blew my mind open. So that that band, more than any other band, I think, sort of, you know, dictated a musical path for me that I, I would try to follow. There are generations guided by voices, aren't they? They're such a special band. They're America's favorite rock and roll band. <laughs> did you learn a lot from those experiences? I did. I definitely did. Um, it was the first time I knew that, like, a scene existed on like somewhat of a national level um you know like it was the first time i played really anywhere outside of of cleveland and it was you know we get to boston and we play to like 60 kids in a basement in alston and you know we played some like anarchist commune in brooklyn or i don't know i i, I was 18 years old and like barely 18 and I didn't know that this existed. My entire musical world was like the club down the street, which I loved very much. Um, and then like battle of the bands and like pay to play schemes and like really weird vibes that like, you know, promotions companies trick kids into being a part of. So they were the first one to sort of show me an, an underground touring circuit. And yeah, that, that was a very revelatory thing. And they're kind of an interesting, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm talking about probably the last couple of years more than that time, but they've kind of been on the fringes of the kind of booking agency managerial world, right? Yes, I think so. And that's not a world that I really know. And I, I feel like, and I, I, I might've talked to you about this before, but I feel actually this reminded me of a memory that I had, um, when signals toured with cynics a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I, I spent a while trying to get into that world, the, the world of agents and managers and things like that. And we had, you know, some small successes with it. We did a couple little support tours here and there. Um, but I, I did find that striving to make those kind of connections really kind of cheapened what I enjoyed about doing music in the first place. Um, hmm. And, you know, since I've sort of stopped my enjoyment of this thing that we all do has skyrocketed. <laughs> like it's I like it so much more now than I did when I was like 26 and like freaking out in a van and like trying to email booking agents about why they should put us on a tour or something like that. I'm just like, fuck it. Let's just let's just do it ourselves. But the the memory that I sort of thought about prior to this conversation was when we took cynics out on tour and was it 2017? I want to say 2017. I don't know. Thank you very much for that though. <laughs> it was so much fun. Like so, and somewhere around there. And I just remember like you guys didn't really come over with any gear. Like <laughs> you just kind of hopped in the van. You didn't really have, like a travel plan or anything like that you're just like you know what it's gonna work out it's gonna be fun and then i remember you were supposed to pick up merch from somewhere 
in Boston, I think. And uh, we, we played the show and then someone was like, oh, we didn't pick up the merch, did we? And then you were like, ah, no, we didn't. Uh, nah, let's, let's just go hang with our friends. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> you just didn't have any merch for the whole tour. And I was like, that's so great because it was it was like a five second consideration. I was like, you know what? It, it doesn't matter. It's It's just supposed to be fun. It is so easy to freak yourself out. And I yeah. think I do think it, it is good to freak yourself out sometimes. Yeah. You don't learn anything if you don't freak yourself out. You have to get uncomfortable. We are both the people and it's taken me a few years to actually be able to say this. I used to be embarrassed about it, but we're the we were the doers in our band. We were the people that would pick up the phone or the emails. Yes. Absolutely. Sometimes you feel like you owe it to yourself to freak out all the time. Yeah. I mean I try to utilize that freak out energy as like fuel to get stuff done you stress stress that's uh, stress that's kind of useful you stress <laughs> i like that term e-u-s-t-r-e-s-s is that i've never heard that word before yeah google it man yeah it's it's very useful um i i agree with that completely and just trying to trying to manage it a little better because like i've literally had several nights in my life where I couldn't go to sleep because I was so anxious about what the band was going to do. You know, like we were in the middle of planning something and I like couldn't go to bed that night for some reason. I'm like, this is not productive. Like, yeah, yeah. I got to figure out a way to rein this in a little. Yeah, for real. But that's hard to, you know, especially once you get into the routine, every band has a dynamic, right? It's like any group of friends has a dynamic. Every working, you know, group of fr- people who work together have a dynamic where we we fulfill the roles we give ourselves in a way. Yeah, it's it's very true, and that changes over time too. And and especially with something as as precious as a band, where you're like constantly navigating all of these relationships between people. You know, you have to be willing to kind of roll with it and let it evolve you know if, if you can get to a point where you're like this is what all four of us or five of us or three of us are gonna do and like you can sort of divide and, and conquer that way then that's great and most of the career bands that i know you know they have kind of a a really defined division of labor well th- where they make like jobs you know, like maybe one person's in charge of all the gear and like the other person sort of functions as a TM and then one person kind of writes the songs and maybe one person does more of the recording or something like that. But, you know, Wayne Kramer, everyone needs a role. Everyone needs to know their role before the band does anything. And that is kind of harsh, but I think it probably works out better in the long run. It is hard and it's bands exist in this weird thing, this weird sort of like liminal space where it's more than a hobby and it's less than a job. And anytime you try to explain that to anyone, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, what what does that mean? What do you, what do you mean? Like I actually have had to really kind of train myself to like, not be as emotional when I talk about music to people who aren't in the music world. Like there's a way I talk to people at work who know I'm in a band, you know, like I, there, there's certain language that I use with them that I don't use with 
you know, even like saying the word like going to a show, you know, people at work are like, oh, do you have a concert? Do you have a recital? <laughs> yes, I have, a, I have a performance. Signals Midwest have been going since 2008 or nine. Uh, yeah, 2008, I believe. When, when do you think is a good time for a band to get a Wikipedia page? <laughs> I don't know who made our Wikipedia page. I think that... Uh, it wasn't you. You got to have some touring under your belt. It wasn't me. I've edited it. Classic. But I, I didn't make it. Or maybe I did and I just... This, this is like omission of memory or something. It's like how Pete Buttigieg actually made his own Wikipedia page and somehow it got validated. So, uh, when great cynics got Wikipedia page, I seriously thought, wow, this is it. We've made it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I I'm, I'm reading off your Wikipedia page. You formed in 2008. I did not know that you'd been a band that long. Yeah. It's pretty wild. This is year 12. It's quite, it's kind of a long time for, you know, for a group of people to navigate relationships, working life, rent with, with everything we've been talking about. Yeah. And now we live in three different cities. Um, so yeah, it's a really long time. There've been a number of moments over the years where I've just sort of been like, I think we're done. Um, and then I, something will happen and I'll get reinvigorated by it. Um, you know, I, I think around like 2015, 2016, I was really trying to push super hard with touring. And it was pretty clear to me that everybody else didn't want to do it in the same way. Um, and then like Lauren, who's one of my best friends and like a founding member of the band ended up leaving. And we did some, tours with fill-in members for a while and it was fun but it was just sort of like we had put a record out and I wanted to go play shows on it but it really wasn't until our new bass player Ryan joined in 2017 and started like printing all of our merch and when he joined he like bought us all new road cases for our amps and like loves driving the van and helps book shows and plans things and fixes things and I'm like oh there's energy here that I desperately needed, and this is giving me more fuel to keep doing this. That's so good to hear. Because it's, it's like a bit of pill, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I think a lot of people listening to this are in bands, have been in bands where someone's left, or, you, you, you know, the singer's left, or, you know, anything could have happened where it, it really is like a breakup. It's, it's, a, it's a strange, it's a strange feeling. Yeah, it's so so heavy and so so immersive and something i keep coming back to is like just being a person in a band is like it's just one of so many things you can be in the world (laughs) but like you know and it's a wonderful thing to be and like it's giving given me you know a huge creative outlet and a sense of purpose and an identity and a a million friends and, you know, all of this stuff. But it's like, you know, sometimes I, I get to the bigger questions of like, all right, well, 
yeah, that's cool and all, but like, who am I as a a friend and a brother and a son and a, you know, it, it's I, I I go to the the bigger questions sometimes. It, it it's kind of cool though that you've been able to ultra focus on something, and that doesn't mean you're going to be doing it on anything else completely different anytime soon. But doesn't that give you a, a good feeling for the future? It does. It does. It's knowing uh, that you have the ability to be so disciplined, disciplined in something that you like doing enough for you to have, you know, been 12 years down the line doing this thing with a bunch of records, loads of tours, loads of experiences that no one else has given you. You've given your, I mean, obviously you've worked with people and all these amazing promoters and people who have let you crash on their floor, but in, you know, there wasn't a teacher involved there. There wasn't a boss involved there. Yeah, that's very true. I'm I'm super proud of what we've done. I feel like we exist in our own little world and it works for us where like we have people who like our band, you know, we can mostly break even on what we do now. We don't really exist in any sort of upper crust managerial booking agent world, but we're able to do pretty much everything I want to do and it's pretty self-sufficient now. So this is kind of what I set out to do in the first place, and I haven't really had to acquiesce to anybody. Uh, so it feels like a win in, in a lot of regards. And I feel like just getting to that point over the last couple of years and being like, look, this, yeah, like you're not getting, you know, direct support slots or anything like that. And you don't have a manager or an agent advocating for you. But like, how much fun do you have? Like bands exist in a world where you just you just literally can't get enough i feel like yeah uh, there's always a next step and it's funny because so like the, the the more stuff you do the more cool stuff that you go you know the, the more you go above your own expectations the more the more you want is often the case yeah that's very very true i uh i try to just be grateful for everything we've gotten to do you know like you gotta train yourself don't you to do that yeah and it's something that i Practice feel like i've it. only really arrived at over the last couple years because there were so many tours like you know we went to europe when i was 24 and like i had a great time but by the time we got you know halfway through the tour i was like all right well how do we come back in six months and make this better it's just like <laughs> dude you're in germany with your best friends you're drinking beer out of a giant boot and you're staring at a mountain like shut up yeah. <laughs> just enjoy yeah. this for what it is and the new news the new 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 news the the latest news is that you've gone to the magpie cage which is jay robin's studio yeah that's that was awesome <laughs> we're gonna go back in a couple months yeah you're doing it in two parts right yeah just the nature of the the way it works and people having leftover vacation time that they have to burn um, it wasn't it, supposed to be like that, right? You said you were going to do an EP and then it turned into him saying, do an album. Yeah, pretty much. Signals was supposed to come to the UK uh, in April and we were going to do a tour with Misfortune Cookie and play Manchester Punk Festival. And I was really excited about all of that. I've heard great things about the festival. Um, you know, then COVID happened and we had to cancel everything. Um, but what happened was we got our plane ticket money back. And like that had just been two or three grand that had just been in our band fund that had been sitting there since the last tour selling records and stuff. And, you know, 
it's not a ton of money, but it's enough to get you across the world for a week. So we got that money back surprisingly from the airline. And I was talking to my friend Gordon and he was like, well, what are you going to do with the money? And I was like, I don't know, man, like we're a band. We're going to need it for shirts or something. I'll just hang on to it. Like, you know, it's, it's not enough to like live off of, but we could make something with it. And he was like, yeah, why don't you like, make music with it instead of just printing bullshit. <laughs> and uh, I was like, that's a good point. He said, go to a studio that, you know, records you like have been made at before. Like go make something with Jay Robbins or something. And I was like, Oh, I get, yeah, well we, uh, mm, okay. <laughs> I talked to the band. I was like, Hey, my friend said we should go record with Jay Robbins. And you know, we love, promise ring and jets to brazil and you know that entire league of bands and i hit up jay and he was into it and from there like i didn't even have any songs yet so we booked it in like june and our studio time was in november so those five months in quarantine were spent like me just demoing songs in logic and like making fake drums and like making playthrough videos for everybody. And like, and you're kind of fresh off making your own solo record. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the next thing to dive into. I was actually kind of freaking out because I always sort of need a project to work on. And then this whole thing kind of materialized really quickly. And then I had something to work towards. And, and once I had the studio time booked, I was like, okay, I'm going to write for this. And we got like five or six songs done. We went in there and knocked them out and had a great time. And uh, we had such a good time where I was like, you know, what if we just did this again and came back and made it an LP? So it's halfway done now. To me, Signals Midwest are quite, you know, you're, you're clinically emotional, I guess I would say. <laughs> I have been referred to as such, yes. I mean it because it is there is something really like measured out about your band. You know, it's there's there's a lot of heart in there, but it is measured. Yeah, I mean, I always just think of us as a punk band. You know, like I yeah didn't really get into the emo bands that people sounded said we sounded like until after we were already making records that they said we sounded like them. And I know that sounds like conceited or whatever, but when we formed, I just wanted it be to be like a cathartic fast band like fucking dillinger four or lawrence arms or something like that like the emo stuff came later what i identify with that sort of emo world um you know at least in bands that are a little bit more verbose like jets brazil or, or something like that is i really try to focus on the quality of songwriting and really mm. um really dig into the lyrics and like make purposeful and evocative statements that aren't just like, I don't know. I don't want to do anything that has kind of been said or expressed before. You know, I, I like really getting into the details of, of shared human experience. And like, I think that stuff does carry an inherent emotion with it. So if that's what comes through, I think that's cool. Do you talk to the other members about this kinds of stuff? I do. Because sometimes it's, it can be weirdly hard talking about. It It really is. I think my focus for lyrical content has sort of shifted, um, trying to shift outward a little bit. Like, I feel like the first couple of records, you know, they were like, they were like breakup records and shit. And it was very much like me, 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 I'm going through this. Um, and with Pin, I really tried to take more of an outward look at like what it means to be a, 
a resident of a city and a country and like a contributing member of a community. And yeah, I talked to the band about that stuff. And actually the, the title track on pin um, is all about uh, a DIY house that our guitar player Jeff used to run in Cleveland called Dag House. And there was this uh, game that we would always play on the back porch. It was just like a, a metal ring attached to a string and you would toss the string and try to get it on a hook nailed into the wall and i i sang the line tossing rings on strings at nails in the backyard at practice i looked up and he was crying and i was like oh man like i really i really got to this dude and uh you know it was like a very validating thing and i try to put things in the lyrics now that don't just speak for me that they call out experiences that other members of the band had had and like we talk about it and we really try to be really above board with what with what we're saying and what we're doing and trying to make it purposeful that's got to be something that comes with age yeah i don't think i would have been capable of it you know six seven years ago uh now it's it's much more about uh making something that's inherently ours versus something that's just mine so there he was, Max Wellstone of Signals Midwest. Their new album, Dent, is out now. I highly recommend you go and listen to that now. I'm back later this week with an episode with Tom from Buzzard, Buzzard, Buzzard. Until then, here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue-ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate. Every bleeding minute I've been on the go. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast.